Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Lord, I thank you for this word and for everyone that's here. Speak to us, move distractions, and if there's distractions, let us move past the distractions. Let us see your face. Let us hear your word. Let us be the ones in the crowd that step out and say, Lord, I heard something different today. Let us grow, mature, be perfected, and um, take us to deeper places. Hallelujah. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. We say? Amen. Amen. Um, as you know now, we've been trying to finish for months now what responding looks like. And um, last week we had an interruption where the Holy Spirit wanted to do something totally different in our gathering. And um, he spoke a whole other word that our, that our posture of defeat would become a stance of victory. And um, the Lord spoke at least deep into many of our hearts the word freedom last, um, last Sunday. Freedom, freedom. And I'm hoping that, that, um, that you haven't forgotten that. I'm really hoping that when moments like that come to you, that that it has more weight in your personal life than it does right here in your public worship. That, that it has more weight in your private worship. Because if our public worship looks greater than our private worship, then we need to be very careful because we are in the brink of hypocrisy. Okay? And we need to be very careful that we do not, our Christian walk and our worship is not on the brink of hypocrisy. Because we worship better when we're together than I do when I'm alone with God. Like we really got to take those things and, and, really, and, and really take it to heart and grow in those areas. I, I want you to grow in worship just like I want me to grow in worship. And, um, and, and I, feel like, um, I feel like honoring that and growing in that is so important. And, and last Sunday, God spoke something, and it's so cool that when we could come together like this, what he spoke last Sunday, we could grab that and say, wait a minute, that is a word, for me, it was prophetic, you know, that was a word that was spoken that should pour into the rest of my life, especially even when I come together with family, and we come corporately and, and lift up a sound to our Lord, amen? And so, so I believe yesterday, last Sunday, many of us... Um, encountered his presence in a unique way again or in a, new, a unique way another day and um, and then again we go back we go back to what we keep saying okay so what does that encounter do to you if all it does for us is say wow church was good today and you text a couple people and just tell them church was good today then goodness it was pointless <laughs> but if it caused us now throughout the week to maybe cry more to cry out more, to confess more, then I will say then it was good. You know, we don't want such an encounter that all we do is just like, I feel like I have to tell someone, we tell someone, but yet it does not do a transformation in our own lives. Amen. How many of you are starting to encounter the Lord in, in special, unique ways, and it's bringing forth um, transformation in, in areas of your life? Amen. Amen. Okay, good. 
I, hey, that was good because we're two or more gathered. <laughs> amen. Um, we're, we're praying that when we ask that question, the whole church says, amen. <laughs> amen. There's a trend. I mean, I, I really believe this stuff, man. And I believe that for us and for you personally. So today what I want to do is as we speak about these encounters that we're having with the Lord, we've gone over a few of them. We've, we've spoken about responding to this encounter with God. It looks like surrender. How many of you remember that? Encountering this presence with the Lord. Number two, it looks like what? Responding looks like growth. And number three, um, responding to this encounter with the Lord. Responding looks like, does anyone remember that one? Rejection. And then this fourth one would, is going to be responding looks like hope has a name, hope has a name, Jesus. I mean, responding looks like hope. And if you take notes, go ahead and write that down. You should take notes. This is the, actually the greatest place to take notes in the house of the Lord together with family. But number four, responding looks like hope. Go ahead and write that down. And thank you, Lord, for giving us permission to finally preach this word. Responding looks like hope. I love, I love that. Now, this is so crazy. Can you guys just really just take off like the church mindset out of your mind for a moment? Take what you're so accustomed to church out of your mind. Because I don't want to be churchy people today. Let me explain to you what I mean. I love that on Sundays I'm starting to ask permission to preach. Like, like I want to do that more often. Like, Lord, if you want, I'll preach. I, I mean, I have a word. I'm prepared. But if that's what you desire, we'll, we'll preach it. And I love how he's freely interrupting that. And yet, when he speaks and when he moves, um, it's still the similar conversation we're having. So, I'll continue to ask permission every Sunday. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. He's the head anyways of the church. Praise God. Responding looks like hope, number four. And um, we, we, let's go ahead and review some stuff. We, we spoke a few weeks ago about the crowd and being called out of the crowd. And you heard something different that the rest of the crowd did not hear in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, many of the crowd walked away and said, we cannot hear that any longer. And they walked away from Jesus. This is disciples. And they, to no longer follow him again. That's called, if you want the theological word for that or whatnot, that's called apostasy. Apostasy is, 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 is a great sin. It's walking, it's turning away from the Lord. It's turning completely away from the Lord. And, and that massive crowd committed apostasy. They turned away from the Lord. And I know that because John 6 says, 6, 6 says, and walked with him no more. But what's special is, and we've gone over this, that when Jesus turned around, there was a specific few from the crowd that was left behind, just a specific handful. And, 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 and a great encounter happened there. And we follow in verse 68 and 69 of John 6, when the Lord looks at them and says, will you not go and follow the crowd? I love that there's going to come a point in all of our lives, if you have not experienced it yet, when you come and do life with the Lord, that he looks at you and says, are you going to continue to move on with the crowd? And every single one of us in our growth and maturity in the Lord has to decide, I will continue to be led by the crowd or I'm going to finally stop from following the crowds and I'm going to be led by the presence of you who has the words that only give life. That's a, that's, a, that's a jump into growth that they did not have until that day. And on that day, I think a highlighted growth was, was shown to us. And where are you going? How come you're not following the crowd? And Peter says what? Lord, to whom would we go? For you have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. You're the Holy One of the Lord. So, so I, I want you to see that. What is, what is Peter saying? And what is the handful of disciples that stayed behind to be with him saying? You are, you are hope, and you are the only hope, because hope has a name, 
and, and that's what he's saying. You are it. And his name is Jesus, the Holy One of God. And it's so important for us to understand that. Um, John the Baptist got that revelation too. Okay. We, we need to understand that. And, and I don't know necessarily if, if I or if we have fully taken hold of that revelation that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Because if I and us have really understand what it is to live in hope, then our lives would be totally different in the way we look into things. And in the way that we juggle things. And in the way that we stress and lack faith and doubt in things. Come on, is there someone that could say, I'm with you, that I struggle with those certain areas of my life. And I think that when we have a clear, a, a clear vision of what our hope is and who our hope is, then those things begin to diminish so that our hope begins to rise up. In which then we proclaim phrases like this, I must decrease so that he may increase. Yeah, that is so good. Hope needs to increase and all of me needs to begin to decrease experiencing his presence does things like that. David, we went into David for a moment and weeks ago, and we said that David was a man of many flaws, just like hopefully um, um, if you are one of those, you could admit, yeah, I'm like David, many flaws. But in his flaws, he was a man who lived from a deep response unto the Lord. And he comes to say this in Psalms 3. I'm going to read Psalm 3, 2, 4, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Here it is. So many are saying, NLT says it this way, so many are saying God will never rescue him. He's talking to the Lord. Lord, many are saying that you'll never rescue him. He's talking about himself. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. There's a song like that. You, O Lord, are a shield. It's good. It's old school hymn music stuff like that. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. Right? High. Because... Having your head low is a posture of defeat, right? High. You hold my head high. You are my what? You are my what? My glory. That's, that's a strong statement. I mean, we could do a whole teaching on that. You are my glory. You hold my head high. We, we don't have the necessarily time for that. Maybe we'll break into a teaching later on about what that looks like when David says, you are my glory. But yet he himself sits on a throne and reigns over a kingdom. And out of his word, armies march to his words. But yet he declares with all authority that he has, says, but in it all, you are my glory. That's big. That's what I feel presidents are messing up at. That's why I don't think he or she was the right pick. It doesn't matter. I think the right pick is the one that sits on the throne and says at the end of the day, the one who sits on the throne, he is all my glory. That's the real thing right there. The real answer and the real person is not he or she or left or right. or It's Jesus is the hope. And encountering Jesus on daily moments like this it will it will do something in our spirit man that wherever we are in life we could come to a place where we pass the screens and the things in front of us and the people around us and we declare what David declares you are my glory the one who holds my head high how many of you look unto someone else to hold your head high it's totally fault don't look towards someone else to hold your head high he's your glory I cried out, verse 4, to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and I slept, yet I woke up in safety. This is so crazy. I woke up and I slept and I woke up. Meaning what? Anything could have happened to me when I was sleeping. For David, that sounds different like us. Because hopefully none of us in here, when we go to sleep, we're terrified because someone could come and stab us while we're sleeping or killing us. But David, because he's king, his very own son is out to kill him. And he knows what it is to sleep knowing that I might not wake up because my very son wants my throne. 
And word around it is, he's starting a whole revolution and a rebellion to come and kill me and take my throne. Not only my son, but my right-hand man wants to take my throne too. And if I die, he becomes the king. I'm talking about there's a lot of things going into play into this. And David says in this psalm, what? I go to sleep and I wake up and I'm safe. Maybe we can't relate to that with David. But, but it definitely sounds different when you hear it from David. He found something in a, in, a, in a person, right? And he says this, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies. <laughs> Can we say that? Shoot, one big strong one might just scare us. I mean, when I grabbed Dwayne's son today to dedicate him, I was a little careful today. Dwayne's much bigger than me. I don't know if you guys noticed that while we were both up there. One man can do the job. I'm scared. I'm all right, bro. I'm going to treat your son well. D David said, 10,000 enemies surround me. 10,000. 10,000. And I'm not scared. I don't fear. The Lord is watching over me. Come on. How many of you could write that down in notes? The Lord is watching over me. All right. Let's continue to review because I have to jump into Hebrews 6. In John chapter 4, we spoke a little bit about the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman and Jesus had this amazing encounter. And I don't have time to get into the whole thing. You have to go back to our podcast. But the Samaritan woman and Jesus are in this encounter. And she's drawing water. And Jesus like, give me some water. And she's like, you can't ask me for water. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We don't talk. We don't like each other. Long story short, he breaks down worship for her. He breaks down that worship is not done in the building. Worship is done anywhere and in any place because God is everywhere. And he, Jesus just breaks down a lot of truth to her. And I love verse 13 and 14. We'll jump into this place, to this part of that passage. It says, whoever drinks of this water, Jesus says, will thirst again. He's telling the Samaritan woman who's drawing water to take it back home. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst, but the water that I shall give will become in him, him meaning him and her, mankind, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. How many of you have experienced that spiritually inside of you that you've never thirst again, but that a fountain of living water has sprung up in you to never cause you to thirst again? How many of you, don't raise your hand and don't, how many of you have not? Well, nothing is stopping you but you. If you have not experienced rivers of living water in you, fountains and springs of water bubbling up, nothing is stopping you but you. Because the Lord wants you to drink from those waters that will never cause you to drink again. And all the people say, Amen. all right, let's get into the passage. Hebrews chapter 6. Flow there with me for a moment. I'm going to read this passage from the New Living Translation. And eventually, I'm going to go all the way from Hebrews 6, 13, I'm going to begin, and I'm going to most likely end all the way in 20, 13 to 20. If you're there, just give me a shout of whatever you feel like shouting. Just keep it clean and holy. You guys are scared to shout. Should we break up into prayer and say, Lord, teach us to shout again? <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, Hebrews 6. Are we all in verse 13? Um, in Hebrews 6, depending what translation you're reading from, one translation puts it this way. God's promises bring hope. And I almost want to say, like, God's promises, 
Man, that was, that's good. Because in the NLT, it says God's promises bring hope. But how about if we change that, that heading and say God's promises will reveal Jesus? Because hope has a name. God's promises are, is Jesus. Amen? So, so let's get into this and maybe we'll understand it more. Let's, read, let's start reading from the top here, verse 13, and then we'll, we'll just go through it. It says, for, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. There was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. I don't know if, if you felt the way I felt when I read that. But when I read verse 13, I felt like this was a very um, special moment. Let me read it to you again. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath on his own, in his own name. When I read that, I felt like that was a special moment. Because we do that good. Like, I swear to my mom. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it back to you. I, I swear on my children's sake and their health that they will not. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to be there. Some of us take it to the extreme. We're like, I swear to God. I, will. I mean, we, we, why? Because we, we feel like there's weight when we say, I, I swear on my children's health. You're like automatically, like, okay, I'll see you later, then you, you're, you're definitely not lying. Or I swear to God, like, if you don't do that, lightning's going to strike you. You feel like, so, okay, yeah, I believe you. So, so God's coming into a conversation with Abraham, and God's going to give Abraham what's called the Abrahamic covenant. And he's going to give him this promise. And he says, how can I do this with him so he could understand how real and how committed I am to this? So he says, this is what I'll do. We're, we're going to make a covenant, and I'm going to swear upon this covenant. On the name of, and he couldn't, I, I could almost picture God in his throne. And there's legions of angels just singing a song. I mean, we don't have to go into the throne room accounts, but the colors and the lightnings. And the, I mean, just what a magnificent, magnificent view that was and sound. And, and in the midst of it, he says, who, he thinks for a moment, I'm going to swear to Abraham. Who can I swear? And he can't think of a name or of a person higher and greater than himself. So he says, put my name on it. <laughs> I swear to myself. And upon myself, my word is on me. That's powerful because what the Lord is really saying there is that when I speak, my awe is on the line. So what does that mean? That whenever I speak must be because I'm on the line. And we'll, 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 see, we'll see what that means later because we're going to read later that God doesn't lie. So he says, God took an oath in his own name. He says, I will bless you for sure, certainly. And I will multiply you and your descendants beyond number. What an amazing two verses because we're reminded here of this promise between God and Abraham and that God made with Abraham. And what a promise this was. Many of us are going to experience this in two months. A piece of this promise. Some of us, if you understand how deep this goes, forget about in two months. The promise is even greater right here in this gathering. Because we automatically look at Israel. Oh, yeah. The chosen people. No, Peter says, you too, you now are the chosen people and the royal priesthood and the holy people, a chosen generation. You now, the promise is your name now. Oh, man. Abraham, that promise between God and Abraham, I'm here because of this promise. I'm here because of this promise. Because it was going to bring forth the Messiah. It was going to bring forth 
one from him. And he says this, and, and he's promising them all these things. And, 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 and in this promise, there's no one, as I shared with you, greater than God. And he takes it upon himself to pledge, to take an oath upon his own name and upon his own character, which is wowing. And the promise was not just to Abraham, but it was to his offspring. And again, I'll, I'll read it one more time. Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. What does these verses mean for us who are sitting here today and listening to this? It means this, and write this down. This gives us an assurance. This, this gives us an assurance, or how the NLT puts it, a certainty about God's promises. What I mean by that is exactly what I shared two minutes ago. He takes his word, he takes his promises upon himself and what he says, and he takes all these things and he says, those things I will do. Basically, what I speak will always happen. Nothing that, can you imagine saying this? Nothing that I have ever spoken has, ne has never not been. That's a powerful statement that only God can say. Only God can say it. I speak things that happen. It's a reminder, just to give you some verses, of 2 Corinthians 1.20. I love this verse. Look why I love it. Ready? 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God, but look at this. The promises of God, where are they? They're in him. They're in him. It's in him. Why? Because he took it upon himself. It's in him. He holds it. So all the promises of God are in him. Yes, and in him they're what? Amen. Yes and amen in him to the glory of God through us. What a powerful passage. The promises of God, yes and amen in him. Guys, you'll get it eventually. It's in our hope. When you see those verses, it says, for all the promises of God is in our hope. I've been promised and I feel like I'm hopeless. No. It's in him. Everything's in him. Yes and amen is in him. We'll get into that. I'm not going to waste time on that now. Also, another one is Isaiah 55 verse 11. When the prophet says, when, when the prophet writes down an amazing word given by the Lord, he says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. So shall my word be. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. My goodness. So as we enter into understanding who hope is and what hope is, but I like to say who hope is now. To understand hope better, we could rest assured in this, that we can find hope in him and in his, what does that mean? In his word, in his promises over us. So like when I had an encounter with him, for example, together with you on Sunday and he spoke freedom, was that something that was just passed by and I never paid attention to it again? Or what was spoken over us on Sunday about freedom, did I hold on to that as a promise and as a word that I found in him and that I heard from him. And now, now I'm going to hold on in my heart forever because he spoke it and everything that he speaks shall be. Not necessarily in our timing, but always in his timing. I'll, I'll, I will prove it to you that it's not in our timing, it's in his timing. So... That when life may cause us to feel hopeless, we rest in hope. The hope of his promises, the hope of his word. That is why people that are not in the word str struggle with finding hope because they don't know the word. So, so, so they run to hope in people 
rather than opening his word and finding hope in his word and then finding hope in him. But instead, we run to all kinds of people and get advice from all kinds of people. And then you run with all kinds of advices and all kinds of opinions. But you yet have not come before the presence of God, who is your only hope, to see what his promises over you say that never will be erased but will last forever. Man, what and who are we running to to hear from? These encounters with God must draw us deeper in him. Why? Because in him, I then understand his word more. And in him, I then understand his promises more. And his word and his promises are yes and amen in him. In you guys, you guys might distort it. My hope and in your word and your promises, my hope is not in your word and your promise. I've had many people that kiss this cheek and the next day stab this back. So what I'm trying to tell you is my hope is in his word and in his promises, not in your word or in your promises. You better not put your hope in me or in my word or in my promises over you. You will leave this church like tomorrow. Like tomorrow. Your hope is not in my word and in my promises or in his word or in her word and in their promises. But if you're in him, then they're yes and amen. Amen. Seriously. And they're not always in your timing. How do I know that? Okay. 13 and 14, right? I'll bless you and I'm going to multiply you. You guys got that? Look at verse 15. Anyone want to read it out loud, 15? <clears throat> like if you're in a living room together. That's how we started our church. We were just in a living room, so why not go back to that? So, so after he had patiently endured, he what? He obtained the... Pro- Some of you need to highlight that, cut that out, and glue it on your neck. <laughs> after... Go back to verse 15 for a moment. It says, then, the NLT says, then Abraham waited patiently. Yours says, then after he what? (laughs) Forget waited patiently. He had to endure the waiting. Because sometimes, like when we used to say, oh, he waited patiently, it doesn't sound so graphic. But that's on the graphic. Because it almost felt like Abraham's waiting at times was very painful for him. But when they're in yes and amen, the pain is worth it. Because the promises is not found in anything else but in him. So if I'm going through this in him, then he's showing me something in it. So Abraham, after he obtained the promises and endured through it, endured through the what? Through the waiting. How many of you, and, 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 and whatever, I, I get what this does. This throws out a lot of things like, yeah. God told me one day I was going to speak to nations. And I mean, people say all kinds of things. And that's fine, whatever God. But how many of you know that there is a, a promise in you? A word, and maybe it hasn't come. No one? Okay, I'm going to raise my hand for that one. <laughs> and maybe the call now is, if it's in me, you enter into that promise, that yes and amen, I've spoken it to you, but you have to endure. And waiting might sound like, for us, like, oh, God, how many months? Guess how, write this down because it doesn't say it there in verse 15. Abraham waited 25 years. 
So when it says he obtained the promises and endured, that right there is for 25 years. So, so what he heard, it took 25 years to come to pass. And yet God had grace upon him. Because if you study Abraham, he actually tried to do it in his own strength. He screwed all things up. And he had a son called Ishmael, which he should have never had. Because he stepped out of God's waiting process. And because of that, there was consequence. And now Ishmael and his brother are going to be at war with each other. Because you walked out of my promise. If I said it, Abraham stands still in door. I will accomplish it. But Abraham said, now the maidservant, she looks good. Wife is cool with it. She's cool with it. Get her pregnant, and then we'll raise the kid together. Next thing you know, because he did not follow, guess what happens? He tried to do it in his own strength for a moment. Now, sorry, Abraham, consequences is now that son's going to hate that son forever. So today there's this massive battle in the Middle East. They're two brothers because Abraham fell on his own strength to do it. So, so, So learn from this. Yeah. And now there's grace. God still saw that he waited. You messed it up. You're going to deal with the consequences. But I know your heart. You're still going to have to deal with these things. But, but, but I, I get it. The waiting here was a span of 25. So, so I started to think about these things. And I'm guessing that, that the waiting is possible, though it's enduring. And, and it's possible only when it's done in hope. That if I lose hope, then I'll begin to lose the ability to wait. You should write that down. Because if I lose hope... Then I'll stop waiting. <laughs> Let's substitute that word. If I lose hope, then I'll stop enduring. So I can't lose hope. And I'm starting to realize that hope is not a feeling. I've always thought it was a feeling. But now I'm starting to recognize that hope has a name. So if I lose hope, if I lose Jesus, then I lose enduring. And my enduring can only be found and can only be strengthened in the one who is hope, who is Jesus. I can't lose hope. Why? Because then I lose the ability to endure through processes. The way that I am able to endure through the process is because I hold on to a hope called Jesus. I wore anchors today on my shirt. When I was driving over here, I noticed, oh, snap, I'm going to read a verse today that says anchor is like hope. That's pretty cool. I'm holding on to my anchor. I'm anchored in him. Well, I'm getting away. I'm getting, I'll get to that verse. So, so here's this promise between Abraham and God. And today we know the severity and the weight of this promise towards Abraham and his children. And, and, and Abraham never got to see it. I don't know if you guys know that. Yes, he had two sons. But he never saw, okay, Abraham had Isaac, yeah? Isaac had Jacob, yeah? Jacob had many sons, but specifically 12 sons. And they would become the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Abraham never got to see the 12 tribes of Israel become a mighty nation. Never. Abraham never got to see the Gentiles, all of us who say, Father Abraham. When we will, I, I've shared this with some of you guys in some of my meetings. But when, when every single person that has walked into eternity, every single person, whether a Gentile or Jew, has looked at Abraham and says, what's up, Dad? Because every single person according to this covenant, according to this promise in him, are all sons of Abraham. That is why the parable in the New, or not the parable, some say it's a true story. The story in the New Testament when the rich man and Lazarus, the poor beggar dies. It says that the poor beggar Lazarus is, let's talk about the rich man first. The rich man is pretty much in hell and the poor beggar Lazarus is not necessarily called heaven. Another name for heaven is called, anyone want to take a guess? Abraham's bosom. 
So when the man looks up, he sees the poor beggar at Abraham's bosom. Why in Abraham's bosom? He is at the chest of Abba. He's at the place of his father's house. And his father is also Father Abraham. Just like our father is also Father Abraham. But that's a whole other thing. That's why like when the Jews walk around, I am a son of Abraham. I'm like, so am I. And I'm a Gentile. I'm a Cuban American. And I'm a son of Abraham too. Just because you do all the rituals and all that stuff, it'll make you more of a son than I am. I know some people get offended at that stuff. But it's the truth because that's the promises in him are yes and amen. We are all sons of God. Verse 16, let me skip some things I want to say. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it, right? I swear to my children's health. And without any question, that oath is binding. Verse 17, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promises could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. My goodness, in my notes, if you could see it, I literally, all I wrote from my notes was to tell you was this, amen. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could perfectly, be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. How many of you change your mind all the time? How many of you guys say something, you go back home and think about what you just said. Oh my God, I should have never said what I just said. That was so stupid of me. Every single day of my life. Jesus, the Lord says something and never does he say, oh, I should have never said that. You know what? I changed my mind. I should text them and that whole little, I'm going to clarify what I meant. God doesn't do that. God doesn't need to clarify what he means. He doesn't change his mind. Well, like when he says, I love you, his love for you does not change. Now the way you feel it might change. You might not. When I say God loves you, you're like, yeah, it's churchy. But when you enter into encounters, then you start saying, well, you used to tell me that. But now I'm understanding it from a deeper place. Why? Because they're yes and amen. He doesn't change his mind. Like you sucked yesterday. And you sinned yesterday. And you should have not have done that behind their back yesterday. But God didn't change his mind today and said, you know, you were really bad yesterday, so I don't kind of love you today. That's not true with God. Now, it's true with our spouses and with our friends and with our children. But with God, he's like, heck no, I love you even more each day. Like, how is that possible? How is that possible for man? Like, how is that possible for, but when you start to encounter, then in all of that, man, my hope is in him. I feel like I could just keep going. Verse 18, so God has given both his promise and his oath. Man, why does the author of Hebrews continue to repeat himself? Because repetition, repetition, repetition to the Jewish reader, repetition is very important. To the Jewish teacher, repetition is very important. Because if I repeat myself, I'm emphasizing something. And I'm emphasizing his word, his promises, his oath. Now watch what it says here. These two things are unchangeable. It is impossible for God to lie. Thank you, Lord. Therefore, who, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. I feel like using a demonstration. I asked Maori to come up and Rudy to come up. Maori, you're the only Maori in this church. <laughs> Maori's looking around. Literally, he's looking around like... Can't be me. No, it's you. You're the only Maori. That's my son right there. That's my son. So loud. 
Let me read that again. Um, Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before him. Is that up there? That's good. Leave it there. One translation says it this way. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. That's the message. That was good. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold the hope that lies before us. Okay. So this is important because we who have fled to him for refuge. So, so we've, we, we've, we fled to God for refuge and, and Maori is a, is a lost case and he's hopeless. But, but he runs. Well, no, no. This is a, a, an illustration. This is not truth. I felt like they just started taking it personal right now. <laughs> okay. So he's fled to him. <laughs> never seen a Nicaraguan God like that. but He fled to him for refuge. Okay. Well, that's a good posture because it says here, look at this. We have run for our very lives to God and have this very reason to grab the promised hope. Did you notice how one translation talks about this refuge. One translation talks about this hope. But in it all, it's all a person. He, he, he's grabbing onto a hope. Not the promises. Not necessarily those things, but the hope itself. You see, promises that don't come from hope will just fail. Words that don't come from hope will just fall short. So I don't just necessarily grab promises and grab hope. But I have to grab him and then grabbing onto him, then I find the promises and the words that come from hope that are for me. So he, he takes on hope. And look what's special here now. You could detach if you can. <laughs> I look very intimate. But notice what it says next. The hope that what? How many of us have read that verse and always thought about it about eternity? I can't wait for the hope that lies before me. What do you mean? The hope lies before you right now. Right now. This is not necessarily a when I get there thing. This is necessarily a it's time right now to be there thing. So it's a hope that lies before me. Not necessarily in eternity, but it's a hope that lies before me now here on earth face to face. I don't know if you guys understand what I'm talking about there. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Cuban and <laughs> Robert Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because let's keep reading verse 19 and 20. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And Jesus has already gone into that curtain. What's in that curtain? Well, he's going to reveal it. He's going to open up the curtain for us. He's become the eternal high priest for us in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus has gone in there for us and he's become the high priest. Verse 19, the hope is a strong, trustworthy anchor and it leads us not to the curtain. Read the words. It leads us through the curtain. Many people live at the curtain, 
but very few live through the curtain. Because here is the author of Hebrews and he says, this hope didn't just lead me before the curtain. This hope led me into what's in the other side of that. I went through the curtain. And it was found in the one that anchored your soul. It was found in the one that you grasped onto. It was found in the hymn. It was found in Jesus. Man, I really want you guys to understand that. Because these encounters with God do not just take us to a place where we fall flat before the curtain. The encounters with our hope takes us through the curtain. And on the other side, be ready to be amazed. Be ready to be filled. Be ready to fall on your knees. Be ready to cry again. Be ready to receive revelation again. Because don't just stop at the curtain. There's a hope that you can hold on to that gets you through the curtain. That's what the author is saying here. Jesus made this possible because he's our high priest. High priests are very important. High priests are important because they offered up. Jesus, the high priest, offered up, guess what, himself. And in offering up, he went before us. And he opened that veil and tore it. That is why the Bible says that when he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in half. That veil being torn in half has everything to do with, finally, your hope has been manifested. Now, you no longer stop at the curtain. You stop inside the other side of the curtain. Don't stop just before it, go through it. We go beyond the veil. We have access. We're no longer separated from the most holy place. Some of us are waiting for eternity to get to the most holy place when some of you have no idea that he's knocking at your heart because he wants that most holy place to already get inside of you. But get past the veil. Everyone say he's our blessed hope. Titus 2.13 tells us that he's our blessed hope. And we're looking constantly upon our blessed hope. Hope is found being rooted in faith. I'm going to teach a couple more things about hope and then we'll wrap it up. Hope is found in being rooted in faith. Faith gives us the ability to hope. I'm saying it quick and yet you might have to write that down and really ponder on that at home. Faith gives us the ability to hope. Faith gives us the ability to hope. See, let, me, let me explain it to you this way. Faith is believing in the unseen, Yes? Hope is different. Please pay attention. Faith and hope are two different things. Faith is, I believe in the unseen. And I'll go deeper into that in a moment. Hope is this. Hope is anticipating or having expectation. Hope is, is finding and having confidence. And it all comes with always with pleasure. So it's pleasurable anticipation. Pleasurable expectation. It's confidence with pleasure. Faith is believing in the unseen. Hope is but I expect with pleasure. I'll get into that. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith and hope are intertwined together, but yet they're so different. So, so here's hope. Hope works up in me. What does it work up in me? It works in me what is called this expectation. This expectation, this desire, a confidence. And it's an expectation, it's a desire, it's a confidence that is filled with pleasure in, in whom I have faith in. So if I don't have that in him, then I will never have access to what is called hope. Which is, if I don't have access in him, then I'll never have granted permission in what? In expectation and enjoying it. Anticipation and enjoying it. Or confidence and yet having it with pleasure. 
Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Once again, faith is believing in the evidence of things I have not seen. But it does not end there. It's also telling us this, that faith is believing, but with what? With pleasures. Faith is believing with pleasures, in expectation, in desire, in anticipation, in confidence for the things I have not seen. So, so when I think about hope and faith, I say this. So does our faith hope in all things? Paul goes into this a little bit. If you want to take notes, 1 Corinthians 13 is a good place to go and um, read the whole chapter. But he speaks about love. And when speaking of love, and we covered this actually in our, in our message, our mission, our lifestyle. So, But Paul goes on and he tells us that love, he says love never gives up. How many of you have read that verse? Many times in weddings. In weddings, it's always quoted in a wedding. Love never gives up in funerals as well. Love never, love never loses faith. And I like this. It is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. New King James says, bears all things, believes all things. But I love this. It hopes all things, endures all things. The end of this chapter, that's like verse 7. At the end of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says, but now abide in this. Abide in faith, in hope, and in love. And yes, the greatest of these is love. But notice the three things that Paul highlights. There is something called what? Faith, there's something called what? Hope, and there's something called love. All three of these things have to come together. It's a three-corded strand in which you cannot separate them from each other. So, so when we look at responding, it looks like hope. Let me explain it to you this way. We live in a world in which love and faith is defined in numerous ways. Many are sickening the way they define love and hope. Some are even diabolical, if you want to be honest. But now we, as sons and daughters, we live a life responding in such a manner that our love and our faith to our beloved is erupting with pleasures. That's where it comes together. Where my faith in beloved is erupting with pleasures of expectancy, with pleasures of desirable pleasures, or, or pleasures of confidence and anticipation. Man, I struggle to say that word. So does our response to such a great encounter to him display in this hopeless world expectance? Does our response to such an encounter to our God display confidence with great pleasure? Because let me tell you what happens. Does it display anticipation with great pleasures? Because I want you to know something that everyone outside these walls that are in this world that do not understand what it means to expect with pleasures. They'll look at you and they say, what is it about you that you continue to have hope when everything crushes down on you? Because it's not found in the things crushing down on you. It's found in the anchor that holds your soul together. And when he talks about anchor there, in Hebrews 6, it talks about security and it talks about stability. And when he says that he is the anchor to our soul, hope is the anchor, it means that him, hope has his name. Jesus is my security now. 
And he is my stability for my soul. He is my anchor. So when things and hell comes against me, I hold on to what I'm anchored in. I hold on to the ropes because in him I found that I'm most stable. And like David, when I go to sleep and when I wake up, he watches over me and I am safe. David understood the revelation of he's my anchor. I'm safe with him, though my son wants to kill me. Does your response look like that? I'm going to ask the team to go up and, and, and we're done. Because here's what I want to tell you today as we end. Your speech, your walk, the way you treat people, all that is of you will respond in hope. But will, when you respond in hope in this dark world, let me tell you what it's going to do. It's going to cause other people to search for that and want what you have, desire it. And if they don't, at least it's going to be a good communication starter. L let me go back to what I'm saying. It's here it is, ready? This world has done well in preaching love. Every channel, every movement, every day I feel like there's a walk or there's shirts being passed out about some sort of love. This world has done well in preaching love in all kinds of forms. This world has done well in preaching faith. Oh, man, it does. In all kinds of ways, in all kinds of forms. But I will very humbly, but yet very truthfully say this. They've done it, but mostly wrong. In a wrong fashion. They've done well in loudly preaching it wrong. But what, and I want to read this exactly how I wrote it. What a deception in the many forms that love and faith has been preached. But yet, as it's been preached, faith and love, but yet are absent from the godly hope, from eternal hope, from a supernatural hope, which stirs in the depth of man the heavenly pleasures that beloved gives us in which we anticipate and have confidence and we have desire. So when everyone is preaching all kinds of love and all kinds of faith, what they're missing is the godly, supernatural, eternal, heavenly hope that causes us deep down inside to stir up with pleasures of expectancy. And that's exactly what this world is missing. And I really want to get so into our faces together because I feel like that's what family is. And if you're part of this church, then we could talk like family. But with many of you guys, I mean, I don't know too much like deep stuff about politics and stuff like that. I know, I know it's messed up. I know that for sure. And I don't know too much stuff about laws and all that stuff. But like all these people fighting about guns and no guns and, and this person and that, like all these different things. Like everything that we discuss and we talk about, we have to come to the grip of the, what the right answer is. And the right answer is what we hold and what we're anchored in. The answer for all this is all of you who are fighting and debating and trying to pass laws about all these things. The answer is come to this camp and begin with great pleasures to anticipate, desire, and expect 
to have a supernatural, heavenly, and godly hope. That's really what should be spoken about more. But instead, it's it's foolishness that distracts man from what the real root issue is. And the real root issue is the name of hope. And his name is Jesus. And we need to start being the people that stop getting on your accounts and stop being so immature and point people to him who is Jesus and stop fighting over what right and what right is not. The real hope is Jesus. It's him. And if we're going to declare anything in this world is come to this camp and hear what we have to say. Because there is pleasures bubbling up in us. Because we anticipate and we expect and we desire for things from him. And we're not going to, I mean, there is a different kind of message that could erupt in the people of God in such a time like this. That could have people that are talking other foolishness say, we want to talk like them. Because they walk without fear and they go to sleep and they wake up knowing that God watches over them and they're safe. And they're not fighting and dividing themselves over all these stupid things. But they are finding pleasure in their confidence and in their desire which is found in something called hope, which we're starting to see. It's nothing else but a person called him, Jesus. We can start changing the conversation. How do you do it? By small pockets, one at a time. Small pockets. Small pockets. Here and there and everywhere. And next thing you know, we point masses, masses to Jesus, who is the hope, which we defined already, which is pleasurable desire and expectancy in him that's it that's it hopefully you understood that but I end with this and this is what we're going to do because as you walk out of here I want all of us the ushers are going to walk around and I'm going to read maybe three more things to you and we're done as they walk around to give you some time I want to read one more time I want to read what David said and David says God will never rescue him they tell me but you O Lord are shield around me you're my glory the one who holds my head high I cried out to you Lord and answered me from the holy mountain I lay down and slept yet I woke up in safety for the Lord is watching over me I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me Jesus tells the Samaritan woman whoever drinks this water will thirst again but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I give you becomes in you a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life I almost feel like that's hope bubbling up in you it's the him bubbling up in you it's, it's the pleasures of expectancy. There's more. There's the pleasures of anticipation. There's more. I don't have to get into these foolish things. There's something greater. There is a supernatural hope. There's a heavenly hope. There's an eternal hope that now lives in me. A, heaven lives in me. For some of us, it's hard to understand that because you haven't understood the, the truth of once hell used to live in me. Hell used to live in me. Hell used to live in me ravishing demonic hell used to live in me but now there's a freedom and there's this joy and there's this peace and there's assurance there's this expectancy there's this pleasure and now saying heaven now lives in me my hope is in him and these encounters have to get me deeper into this 
into this heavenly hope that is found in him. So as we speak about hope and hope having a name, which is Jesus, I think the best way to walk out of here today is by taking the Lord's Supper together. And this is what I would like to do. I'm going to ask us to stand as we close off and as, as we, I want, I want you to examine your heart. I want you to examine your soul. I want you to examine your life. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to stay looking, you can. But, but this is what I want to do today. As we take of this body, which is a cracker, which represents his body, and we take of this juice, which represents his blood, I want us to come before him saying this, Lord, I come before you because in my life, I need to take in hope. And today we've made the declaration that hope has a name. And if hope has a name and his name is Jesus, then Lord, this is what I want. I want hope in me. This world is hopeless. This world is dark. Every day there's a shooting somewhere. Every day there's a killing somewhere. Every day there's a drowning. Every day there's a, I mean, negative news, negative news, and it's getting louder because of all the media and because of all the stuff that surrounds us. We hear it more. Evil is spreading throughout our day. But Lord, we know that in the midst of these days, there is a, there is a few that step out of the crowd that have something in them pleasure pleasures of confidence in them that Lord while the world is making so much noise about so many things we could hold up a banner and begin to make a sound about the one thing which is while everyone is running around killing each other we the children of God wave the banner so all can see because the scripture says that if he is lifted high men would be drawn to him and we lift up on high our hope so that the world can see that our hope is also their hope and I want everyone in this place today Lord God to recognize the message that they carry and the hymn that they carry in them that Jesus you are our hope And Lord, I want to start living that out in this world with confidence. And I want those encounters through the veil to begin to manifest outside in this world. So that those that are lost in this world could see they speak different over there. They walk different. They live different. And it's because of the hope that lives in us. Thank you for our faith that gives us permission to hope. Hope who is none other than Jesus. So this is what I would love for you to do if you know Jesus and he is your Lord and he's your Savior and you can receive him because he's your Lord, he's your Messiah, he's your King, he is your God, he's your beloved. Lord, here we are and we do this in honor and remembrance of you together as family. And as we take this, I pray, Lord God, that something supernatural is happening inside of us. That our hope is becoming more alive in us ever than ever. That responding to encounters looks like there's greater hope that is being declared through our lives. That encounters with hope. That I would become the hope to this world. 
because of the encounters happening in me. That we could say things like we said weeks past. Say things like we've spoken about as leaders here. Imitate me as I imitate him. We could only say that when hope has become alive in us. That we would look into this world and say, come follow me as I follow him. Model me as I model him. Because hope that has become alive in me. So Lord, we take of your body that was given for us. And we thank you for it, for our sins, for the forgiveness, for the high priest that because of this, you, you, you opened the veil that I could enter. Thank you for your body. Let's take of his body today. And Lord, you shed your blood that all sins can be forgiven. You shed your blood as a sign of covenant. You signed the paper. You put an oath with your own blood because you are a God that cannot lie and does not lie and will never lie. And your blood more than ever has spoken truth to our lives. And because of your blood, there is forgiveness of sins. There is redemption and restoration. There is death burial. And because of your blood, there is resurrection. Because of your blood, Lord, there is a hope that lives in us. That now we could be to this world in their lost and sinful state. So we do this in honor and remembrance. Today we take of your blood. We thank you, Lord. Go ahead and just spend a few moments there just maybe thanking him. Thanking him for permission to enter past the veil into his presence. Thanking him for, Lord, thank you for encountering me. Lord, thank you for hope because, man, do we know what it is to live hopeless. And, man, do I struggle at times thank God I hold on to my hope my anchor which gives me stability and safety thank you Lord that when I lay down and when I wake up I could wake up in peace because you watch over me and though 10,000 enemies 10,000 enemies may surround me I am safe because your eyes are upon your son all I could do is live this life with great expectancy with great confidence with pleasures of great confidence because of the hope that is in you because of the person of Christ. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. Do a miracle here. We praise you.